Amen. Take your copy of God's scripture today and turn to that first book of the Bible again, Genesis, to that first chapter, Genesis 1, as we look at verses 28 through 31, as we focus there today, our attention. You know, as God launched me into this sermon series, this sermon series that would address cultural issues of our day, I will tell you that God has challenged me some. He is actually stretching me quite a bit as I continue to study, as I seek what his witness is to us. You know, there are so many varying theories and so many different opinions that are out in our culture today. I mean, you can find opinions everywhere, right? This morning, we could say that we were going to take the rest of this service just to express our different opinions. And do you know how long we would be here? Some of you say, please don't do that. Please. Some of you, all of us have opinions. And everybody in our culture, they seem to have their own opinion about certain subjects. But for me, I believe for my prayer and your prayer is that we are not informed by people's opinions, but rather what we are informed by is the word of God, that somehow the scripture would speak to us about these issues and the scripture would provide for us a foundation. You know, as I was reading through Genesis 1 and I was, I was thinking of some of the different issues that Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in particular seem to address, I noticed that somehow I believe that God speaks to us about our relationship with creation. We might call it Biblical environmentalism. That doesn't even seem like it goes together, does it? Some of you have already thought in your head, what a contradiction this morning he's preaching. Some of you probably already put question marks there in your bulletin to think of being somehow an environmentalist and yet being biblical. The two just seem to be incompatible. And yet, I think as we look at the scripture, we see what God would say to us about our relationship. In particular, in particular, I think what we see in scripture is humanity's rule over creation. And we see humanity's responsibility to that creation. So look at these verses, if you will, this morning. It says in verse 28, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, obviously, this carries on the creation account. It tells us about this God who is the creator of our world. And somehow, I think we have to remember that context as we move into this discussion this morning. As we look at this idea that humanity is to rule over creation, we must first be reminded that God is the ultimate ruler over all. I mean, that is the setting for this, that God is the creation. Remember last week, 
we talked about how God, well, God was powerful and he was personal and he was purposeful in his creation. God knew what he was doing and God demonstrated his creative activity. By speaking a word, he brought the world, he brought the heavens and the earth into existence. How wonderful that is. And because he is the creator, he is distinct from his creation. In other words, God is far above creation itself. He is not contained in nature. Nature has no ability to try to contain him or his power. God is so much higher than creation itself. We must always be reminded of that. Now, I know most of us, most of us would affirm that simple truth. God is the creator and he is far above his creation. But we recognize as well that there is this conversation around us daily. There's the conversation that we'll see in media. We'll see in different entertainment venues. We'll see the conversation that seems to imply at least that creation, that creation, well, it is God. I mean, all you've got to do is go look at some of the different movies that have come out and hear the media sometimes, and at least it is implied. Sometimes it is explicitly stated that creation is divine. I don't know how many of you watched this movie. You probably, I don't know if you should have necessarily, but it was a movie a few years ago called Avatar. Most of you did not. Good thing, probably. Good thing. Some of you may have seen it. At least you may have read about it. Hey, some of you know that there's an Avatar section of Disney World that's coming. Yeah? Oh, come on, people. Where are my Disney World fans? You know it is coming there to Disney World. Maybe you read up a little bit about it and you checked on it, but basically if you were to read or watch that movie, you would note that that they were trying to at least promote the idea that there is this great life force that is around in nature itself, this force that moves throughout nature, and that all you need to do is to tap in to that nature. And nature itself is divine. Now, you think it's just a movie, but friends, there are a lot of people that are subscribing to this kind of stuff today. A lot of people are basically embracing this pantheism which means that god is in everything that everything is divine and that we're all here hopefully catching this life force and experiencing our spiritual energy through it that is so far from the biblical witness god is the creator and he is far and above his creation nothing about creation is divine there is one creator. He is the one that brought this world into existence. And because he is the creator, he has the authority over all creation. He is the creator, and thus he has the power over everything and over everyone. That should be a starting point for us. When we think about our world around us and creation, we must always remember that God is distinct from his creation and that he has the right to rule. And not only the right to rule nature as we see it, 
But God has the right to rule us. In a moment, I'm going to talk to you about how I believe God has given us this divine, or He has given us this specific task of having dominion over the earth, of subduing the earth. I think that's what He's going to talk about. But we must first be reminded that the Creator above, well, He made us. And thus, we are subject to Him with our lives. He has authority over us. Notice verse 28. It says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them. If God is the one who made us, then God has the right to speak into our lives. If we are His creation, then that means that God has the authority to look at you and to look at me and say, Hey, this is what I expect. He has the right to say. He has the right to speak. And, of course, we have the responsibility of responding in obedience. He says, it says, God blessed them and God said to them. He has the authority over us. Francis Schaeffer said it this way. Regardless of man's system, he has to live in God's world. In other words, no matter what your system is, no matter what you subscribe to, when it all comes down to it, you and I, we live in God's world. And thus, he has the authority over us. So we recognize that. At the very beginning of this message, we recognize, again, that he is the creator who has demonstrated himself in a powerful, personal, and purposeful way in our lives. And thus, we and all of creation answers to him. But, notice here, it says that God has placed humanity in this unique place, in this unique position of where he can rule over creation itself. Again, John Stott captures this probably for us when Stott says that, basically what Stott says is that God... The earth belongs to God by creation, and it belongs to us by delegation. Now think about that a moment. The earth belongs to God by creation because he created it. It belongs to us by delegation. In other words, God delegated this rule to us. He has given us the opportunity. He has given us this great privilege of ruling the creation Itself. Well, that says to us, as we look at this, of this idea of being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth and subduing it, having dominion, we recognize then that humanity has a special place in creation. Now, you could go back and look at the previous verses, and it tells us that the plants were made after their own kind. It says that the animals were made after their own kind. But there's something that is special and unique about the creation of humanity, of human beings. It says that God speaks and God says, let us make man in our own image, in verse 26. So notice this. Plants, animals, made after their own kind, humanity, human beings, made after the image of God himself. 
Now, in a few weeks, we're going to flesh that out a little more. We're going to talk about the value of human life because we are made in the image of God. But at this point today, as we're focusing here, notice there is a distinction between man, between women, and also between creation. Men and women are created in the image of God, right? Animals, plants, they're created by God. They have value. We'll talk about those. But they are not on the same level as humanity. There is a distinction. There is a difference. God has made us unique. And God has somehow given us a responsibility. He has given us a task to rule. Well, again, that is so important for us to establish in this conversation of biblical environmentalism. Because today, if you subscribe to the idea that creation itself contains some type of deity and animals and, and plants, what you fall into is the trap that everything is just as important as everything else. That an animal life or a plant life is just as important as a human life. You can fall into this trap. You know... So this week, I've done a lot of study for this, okay? Because I had a feeling I was going to get a lot of conversations afterwards. So I did a little extra study. Doesn't, by the way, doesn't mean you have to conversate with me afterwards, all right? That's not what that statement was intended to do, create more conversation. But I did go and I looked at different ones. I, I tried to see what this one said and what that one said. Okay, I tell you what, I even, I even wondered upon the site of PETA, okay? PETA. I, I looked at it because I did want to read. I mean, first of all, people for the ethical treatment of animals. Now, I hate to tell you, but when I was growing up, my dad taught me it meant people eating tasty animals. That's what he told me. That's bad. I'm telling you, I know it's bad. I know it's bad. You think I'm kidding. I, anyway, anyway, I went people for the ethical treatment of animals. Listen, listen, that title itself, who would disagree with that? Nobody should disagree with that title. Animals should be treated in an ethical way. I believe that. There's nothing wrong with the title of the organization. The problem is, if you go and you begin to read, you begin to see how they... Well, they place animal life in the same realm as human life. I was reading a BBC report that they had cited. I went and read it, the BBC report, that actually called for the payment to animals for their labor. You think I'm kidding? Guide dogs, shepherd dogs, donkeys... I mean, this was a BBC report that we ought to pay them for their service. Folks, we are losing our way. God has placed human life in a different position. He has made us, we as, he, he has made us into His image. 
Now listen. I think we can have affection. We can love animals. And, and we're going to talk about the care of those things in a moment. I, I believe we can have love. I was talking to someone this week uh, that had lost a, a pet. And it was tough for them. And I understand that. I understand. Listen, I had pets when I was coming up. I loved those pets. And um, I mean, I had dogs that I just loved. Uh, some of you, you have those kinds of pets. Some of you have a real deep love and compassion, and you will love a cat. I don't know how you do that, but you have it really deep in your life. I understand you can have great affection, but my friends, my friends, human life is different, and it is unique. We have been made into the image of God, and thus we have a value. And we have a, well, we have a position, a task. We have this that we're called to of ruling creation itself. Well, the psalmist said it this way. I think Psalm 8 connects Genesis 1 in so many ways. Psalm 8 just says, verse 3 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. He said, there's something about it that you have placed man at this position in creation. That you have given him this role. You have given him this responsibility to rule. Well, Jesus even reminded us of the value, the distinction, the difference of human life over other types of creative life. Remember when Jesus was talking about worry? And he talked about how God created and God was taking care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And then Jesus looked and he said to his disciples, Are you not more than these? Are you not worth more than these is the implication. Jesus says, Isn't human life valued even more? Even there we're reminded the value of of human life and the role and the responsibility. Again, back in Genesis 1, verse 28, he says, Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Back in uh, verse 26 or so, he spoke again about having dominion. If you look at those Hebrew words for subdue and have dominion, they are very, very strong words. Strong language is used to demonstrate the role of humanity. Humanity is it rules creation. Later on, you'll see that rule dem demonstrated as Adam names the animals. You think that's a very insignificant thing, but it actually shows his authority over animals themselves. 
I believe our rule is a functional element of the image of God in our lives. That this is the way the image functions as we rule, as we exercise our role. So certainly, we see humanity's rule over creation. But let me say this too. As you're reading through this passage, I think you must also see humanity's responsibility to creation. If we have a role, if we assume a role, that we are in such a prominent position of creation, if we assume that role, then we also assume responsibility. We need to be reminded of that. What has he done? Basically, what he has done is charge us with stewardship for our lives and for all of creation. He has charged us with stewardship. Again, this idea of subduing, having dominion, those verbs are used for the king of Israel, the ideal king of Israel. When God installs the king, when he's speaking about the king, he is thinking about a king that will somehow rule and have dominion over the people of Israel. But he's going to do so in a very caring and godly way. That's the ideal king. We know that kings fell short of their responsibility so often. But what God intended was for the king to look at the needs of the people and for him to rule in a compassionate and caring way. What we need to recognize is creation is not divine, but creation has value before God. He looked at creation. He said that everything that he had made was good. And thus he has given us a charge to demonstrate care and stewardship. God intends for our care of creation to somehow reflect our love for the Creator. Stewardship. It's a powerful word, isn't it? Most of the time, when we think about stewardship, we think about money, don't we? Usually. When I was at First Baptist Zachary, um, some decided that it was best to change the name of our finance committee to the stewardship committee. Well, that's a good term. It's a better sounding term. I mean, finance. I mean, I mean that sounds like you sat through a Dr. Anderson class. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't like it either. You know the idea of it. But stewardship. Stewardship. It basically means, again, that what you have doesn't really belong to you. You are a steward. You are not the master. You're not the ruler. You're not the one that's over things. You actually have been given a responsibility. You've given resources, perhaps. And you are to use those resources wisely. If we could only remember, and we could only come maybe to that conclusion in our life, maybe some of us just need to come to the conclusion before we can remember, that we are all stewards. Everybody in this place. Everything that we have. Everything that we have. Everything that we are is on loan from God above. He has provided all resources to us. So often we think that we have worked ourselves in such situations. And that we're responsible for all that we have. No, we're not. 
You and I would have nothing outside the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we have is because God has blessed us in some way. Well, I work for mine. The reason you could work for yours is because God gave you the health and the energy that you needed to work for that. Nothing that you have belongs really to you. It is all on loan from God. We are stewards for the master. He has called us to use it. He has called us to invest in it. He has called us to demonstrate his glory through our resources. Well, friends, we also are stewards in this creation. Everything that we see, everything that we know belongs to him. The scripture says all the earth is his. So because all of the earth is his, we have a responsibility to be the stewards that we should be, the faithful stewards. Later on, God will tell Adam in Genesis 2.15, again, a passage we're going to come back and look at in a few weeks. You notice we're going to be in Genesis 1 through 3 for a while, right? But Genesis 2.15, he'll look at Adam and he'll say, Adam, this is what you are supposed to do. You are supposed to tend the garden and keep it. So think about that. He was a steward placed in the garden, and he was supposed to take care of it. He was to tend it, to keep it, to cultivate it. He was to exercise his responsibility because God had given him a rule over creation. Now, I believe when you talk about stewardship, you're talking about being able to use it, not abuse it, right? That you are called to use it. So much of creation is for man, for his enjoyment, for his benefit. If you notice these verses that we read, it said that all these different plants, trees, whatever, this has been given for you. You can enjoy that. In the garden, all the other trees. Remember Eve's response to the serpent? Hey, God said we could, we could basically eat, we could enjoy the garden. Every other tree except this one. So think about it. All of this creation was there for the benefit of man. For enjoyment. I'm sure proud God allows us to enjoy his creation. And to use it. To enjoy it. And to use it. Well, there's another psalm that speaks to this. Psalm 104. Actually, there are many different psalms that speak to the creative power of God and our stewardship. But this week I read Psalm 104. I, I want to just, I know it's a lengthy passage, but I want to re read just some of it to you. Just, just listen to it. You don't have to turn it. Just listen, okay? It says of God, he sends the springs into the valleys. They flow among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them the birds of the heavens have their home. They sing among the branches. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man. That he may bring forth food from the earth. And wine that makes glad the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread which strengthens man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. 
the cedars of Lebanon, which he planted, where the birds make their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high hills are for the wild goats. The cliffs are a refuge for the rock badgers. He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knows it's going down. You make darkness and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. You know, when I was reading through that, and it, and it talked about this different life chain. Well, well, I'll tell you, when I first started reading it, I thought I was caught in a theater with a Lion King on for just a few moments. I know some of you expect more of me than that, but I'm sorry, I got four kids. Lion King's high on my list sometimes. I mean, when you're first reading that, it sounds like, oh, yeah, the Lion King was right. You know, the circle of life. Somebody saying that? Circle. It sounds like everything just exists. But folks, this goes way beyond Lion King theology. It goes way beyond that. Basically what the psalmist says is that God has set into motion all of creation. And he has provided for different aspects of creation. And he takes care of the, the smallest and most insignificant of creation. And he's there for us. And he allows us to use these things. God, thankfully, has provided so much that we can use. Aren't you proud God even liberated us and he allows us to eat a little meat every now and then, won't he? Now? I thought I'd get some amens out of it. I heard one there in the back. Some of you know I'm an avid hunter. I believe God has called us and given us the opportunity to enjoy and to use his creation. There's nothing wrong with that at all. God has set this up to use it, to cultivate it. I'm so thankful that humanity can cultivate creation and help some of it reach its potential. Hey, aren't you proud? I'm very thankful that God has used humanity to cultivate creation in such a way that we have medical breakthroughs. We have opportunities for jobs, for people to live. Because God has given us creation where we can use it for the betterment of humanity and ultimately the kingdom. Now, I certainly though don't believe in abusing creation. It has value. We use it, but we don't abuse it. That's what a good steward does. It's on loan from us. We use it, but we don't abuse. Could you imagine that God would put us in a, in a role of ruling over creation and then say to us, it's okay for you to destroy things? No. God has called us to certainly exercise wise care. Proverbs 12, 10 that first part says that a righteous man regards the life of his animal, for example. I said to you a moment ago, I have no problem with the treatment, the ethical treatment of animals. I think we should. I mean, that's what Scripture says in Proverbs 12.10. A righteous man is going to look to the care of his animal. 
Again, knowing that human life takes precedent over everything else. Well, ultimately, what are we wanting to do? Well, we're ultimately, though, hoping to cultivate creation in such a way that it can know the life and the work of Jesus Christ. So how is one of the best ways for us to impact creation? Speak a word of redemption. Speak the name of Christ. You think, you think maybe I'm just making this to Colossians chapter 1 verse 20? That first chapter I read a little bit last week to you. I didn't read this verse, but Colossians chapter 1 20 says, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now think of this. What we're moving toward. Now, we're moving toward Jesus Christ's return where he will renew all of his creation. Now, I don't live under some impression that we're going to live in a utopia before Jesus Christ comes. I'm not taking care of the creation just because I'm trying to make it perfect before he I can't do that, but Jesus Christ can. One of these days, he's going to return, and according to what this says, all of creation is going to be reconciled to him. Remember that passage I've mentioned a few times now, Romans chapter 8? where it says that creation stands on its tiptoes looking out, waiting the return of Christ so that it can be redeemed? Well, Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says, all things will be reconciled to him. Creation itself will be reconciled. There'll be a new world, a new creation, a new paradise. So what are we to do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, we are to spread the word of redemption. Of reconciliation. If the only way that creation itself can come into a right relationship with God is through Jesus Christ, then we need to be out proclaiming Jesus Christ. And it is through the blood of the cross that all of us can be reconciled. Want to care for creation? Care for that brother and sister that lives next to you. Care for them by sharing the love of Christ Jesus with them. You want to care for the created beings of God, you go and you talk to them about the gospel, the good news, so that they can know what it's like to live as fully human people as God intended through Christ Jesus. One of the things that we ought to be reminded of as biblical environmentalists is caring for the human life and sharing the gospel of Christ. That's how we can impact not only lives, but all of creation. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, There are strange, exciting hints in the Bible that when we are drawn into Christ, a great many other things in nature will begin to come right. He said, It's amazing when we come to Christ when we preach the name of Christ, when people are reconciled to him, how there are so many other aspects of creation that become right. Friends, we have a role. God has called us to rule creation. 
to recognize that we are special, unique among all of nature and creation itself. He has called us to a responsibility of stewards. People who will use what God has given us, not abuse it, but use it. And those of us as believers who will reach to that ultimate goal of redemption and creation, that ultimate goal of a world filled with His glory that can come only through the life and the person of Jesus Christ. May we be the people who would recognize the rule, the role, who would exercise the responsibility and who would also extend the relationship of Jesus Christ to the creation itself. May we be faithful in his call to us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you. And God, this morning, oh God, how dependent we are upon you for understanding Lord, for your word, which teaches us and shows us, which, Lord, is not informed by worldly or earthly opinions, but which provides for us the foundation of your truth. And God, I pray this morning, one, that we've been faithful to your truth. But also, God, I pray that we would respond to your truth. This morning in this place, we recognize that you are the creator. We recognize that you have all authority over our lives. We recognize that you've given us a specific rule, a specific role. And Lord, a major responsibility. God, we pray that we would respond in obedience. And God, also, that we would not forget the ultimate aim of a world filled with your glory. Father, would you make us faithful witnesses this week? Would you allow us to be the stewards you've called us to be? Help us as we obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen.